Welcome to SaaS Theory Podcast, a place for deep dive conversations, SaaS trends, and strategy talks with SaaS founders and decision makers. Today, we're joined by Mark Castro, the co-founder and CEO at Datalyze. Mark has extensive entrepreneurial experience as he launched his first business when he was 18 years old. Nowadays, Mark is running a successful SaaS business he grew from zero to one million pounds in annual recurring revenue. Listen to our conversation to learn awesome insights on what it's like to build a SaaS company without burning out. Hi, Mark. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much, Victoria. So I like to start these conversations by dismantling myths. So there's my first question. What's a generally accepted outbound practice that is actually wrong? I think a generally outbound practice is pretty much about just cold calling anyone at any time without doing any research whatsoever in the in the sense that you may get lucky with some numbers. Like I think that's pretty much done when no one has anything to dial. And I think just literally spending at least even 40% of your time actually researching the person you're calling from, you're going to be able to be more successful than just cold calling a bunch of databases that you may have purchased. Okay. And now, since we are uh, we met each other on LinkedIn, obviously I uh, went through your profile and I liked very, very much your bio, which says, goodbye centralization, hello accelerated revenue ecosystem. Could you tell me more about this statement? Yeah, of course. So the way we, we came across with this statement and we pivoted many times was the reason that everything used to be like uh, very centralized. And even though... Uh, everything seems to, needs to be centralized in order to be organized and have control and be able to manage the way that the you know the world's moving and applications are is about being able to connect one central part to many different places however at the same time being asynchronous so everything should connect seamlessly so the way we came across this is that we want things to be centralized however also decentralized so in not cell is everything's connected together without being very closed off so that's that's the reason we came out across our statement. In that sense. So it's both it's both centralized and decentralized. And you're Correct. Just choosing one part. Okay. Correct, because you know, okay. like because centralization has very wrong connotations, like one central computer in one place or like a headquarter, and then decentralization is many parts working together. But in reality, we do need some kind of centralization in order to operate something as a, as a business. So it's kind of like a double play on words. Okay, okay. That, I was very curious about it. I mean, yeah. actually, it was one of my favorite LinkedIn videos, so thank you for explaining Thank that. you. <laughs> so, uh, Mark, you're the founder and CEO, co-founder and CEO at Datalyze, and I'm very curious to know your what's your entrepreneurial journey and how it all started. So, my entrepreneurial journey started all the way until when I was 18 years old uh, with my current co-founder, Mark Alucci. We've known each other now 17 years. So how everything started was actually through a game called Have a Hotel. I don't know if ever you played it. So we were very big fans of this game. So we created a fan website about this. And how we all started is that we wanted to sell, sell background pictures to mobile phones. Back in the day, there was no Apple Store. This, this is like 2006. So we actually came up um, through a business that to do, send a sort code message to a te- uh, to a a number and then by sending that you will download a ringtone or a background so when we saw that we saw how much mo- how much money we're making just from that so we started to um, go in depth how we could create our own business 
in order to provide SMS premium and VoIP. So in this case, we created Ecosoft. Ecosoft was a SMS provider. So we will gather. Uh, we were a platform that provided micro solutions to companies that wanted to offer micro payments to customers. So in this case, we had like companies like supermarkets that will do a marketing marketing campaign. Same, for example, get a discount by sending a text message to this number. This message will cost like say forty pence, and then we will earn a commission out of that. So that's how we actually started uh, Ecosoft and my entrepreneurial journey. However, in two thousand and ten. When you know the world was going, was starting to recover in 2008. That's actually when we when we crashed as a business. Why? Because the Apple Store came came around, and sending a text code to download ringtones became less popular, and that was my biggest first failure. It was my biggest first win and my biggest first failure because we were naive. So then I decided to go back to university at 21. I was quite late, and then graduated at 25. And at 25, I was completely. I finished my degree in business management. I was pretty much broke as a student and lived in debt. And I had to move to my grandmother's house in Barcelona. And from then on, uh, I started to become a financial trader. That's the only thing I had as a second passion. But then really quickly, I only lasted a couple of months and then began with my current co-founder, Spanacom, who was a marketing agency that provided lead generation services to the financial industry. So pretty much my boss became my client. And from there, we managed to grow Spanacom to pretty much 1.8 million in revenue since inception and allowed us to create Datalyze. Just because I saw from working as a financial broker that they were using a CRM, they were using a VoIP system, they were using an automation software, but everything was separate. And I could see this engagement, the inefficiency of the employees having to spend 30% of their time in administrative tasks. So it became very convoluted. So I thought it should be another op easier option. So from our expertise between me and Mark, we had we already had created an SMS and VoIP business. Then we created a marketing agency. So we really needed for these businesses was a CRM. And from looking on worse, there was just many different CRNs, but they were very like fixed and it wasn't very easy to integrate all these services. So we just decided to create our own CRM, which then became Datalyze. And that has been in a way my entrepreneurial journey. And here we are talking. I still haven't made it yet, but slowly progress. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, what a journey. And I, I actually noticed that lots of entrepreneurs are starting very early with different yeah. endeavors until they find uh, something that starts growing and something that uh, it's, it's, you know, the big idea. But I, I, yeah. you, you, you mentioned that you uh, gra graduated from the business management uh, bachelor, yeah. I think you said? Uh, correct, master? yeah. In Cardiff, yeah. okay. Yeah, and uh, I'm just very curious. When you're looking back, do you think that this... Uh, the, the, this in, because, you know, there is like this debate that you don't have to go to a business school to become an entrepreneur, that you are learning on the go. What's your experience with this? Would you say that it helped you or it didn't make any impact? For me, it, it did help me in, in giving me the foundational um, knowledge that I had. So, for example, the way I say about university is what you make out of it. So the experiences, the, the communities that you're involved, but most importantly, how to use the information. Because if we're all doing business management, you know, there's many universities across the 
across the UK doing the same thing. So you're actually competing with the same information. So it's actually about what you do with the information you gain. So for me, it was being how to be critical. So what to find was true, what's not true, how to go more in depth and be able to relate to that. Also, how to look into the future. So that really helped me, you know, by having a really good library with knowledge, have a review, journals and everything. It made me look five years into the future. And, and thirdly, it's just the experience that you gain by joining all these societies, all these extracurricular activities that separate me from the just the knowledge I gained from, from my university course. And as well, my ambition to learn professional growth, which that came around with like knowing like I'm, you know, you're never going to earn more than your boss or you have the freedom, how you want to create your life, knowing the, you know, the falsehoods like, oh, if you get a job, then uh, and then you get promoted and then you get married and then you become successful, then you made it in life. When in reality, it's about how you want to build your life, how you want to be, where do you want to be with the people that you want. And, you know, if you start from there, then suddenly and you backtrack, then you start realizing that every action you take is what you want to do to, for a wholesome life. And that's the way I like to look at it. That's very interesting. That's very interesting because uh, the majority of people, maybe they go to university thinking they will get practical knowledge. But I think that yeah. what the university teaches you is to think critically, to think for yourself, to to come up with models, frameworks, and to see things from a, a little bit from you know a bird's eye view, not to Correct. not so practical. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a that's a very interesting take. So and it's a very interesting argument for those who say that ah, <laughs> you can make it. Yeah. I mean, obviously you can make it without the university, but also the university has its value. It has its value. So, like I think, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I'll say it definitely has its value. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it down. But it's what you make with the with information. If you're only there for with the course that you're given, then yes, it will have no value. But it's also the extracurricular activities that make it and what you want to do and be very clear about what your passion is in a way, like in terms of like knowledge and then it works. Yeah. So Mark, as I understand, uh, Datalyze is a bootstrap company, right? Correct. Yeah. So I'm very interested in the reasoning behind deciding whether to bootstrap or not, or find investors, because I'm not saying it's wrong or right. I'm just very curious to know why some decide to find investors and why some entrepreneurs decide to bootstrap their companies and what was your reasoning behind this decision so my reasoning for to bootstrap the company and just to give you an update like we recently got also investments so we're not fully bootstrapped okay, anymore okay. yeah but like yeah, we but got for given a, yeah four years <laughs> oh yeah four years it's literally been to like literally this this year but, but yeah so i can tell you a bit so my reasoning has always been like with the business is that you should definitely be making money before you're thinking about a side investment, just because you prepare your mindset to be like as resourceful as possible and be able to allocate your time and your product if you got a real business before you ask for money. And also you have that freedom and flexibility to be able to direct if you're very clear where you want to go, as opposed to have been stressed out when you have to talk to investors, you've got to come up with answers, where are you going uh, without really having anything with leverage. And in reality, you know, you don't have a business until you actually solve their problem in terms of service or a product that solves solution and you have that tangible value. And then once you go get investors, then it becomes clear that it's more for like growth and to use as a, as a, as a jumping, um, what's it called? Jumping. Yeah. So something that you can use in order to power your growth as opposed to using the money to 
to work out how you can, if this is a business or not, which obviously for research and innovation and development, obviously it's a complete different story. But in terms of like a business like ours, in a very competitive space, it's really, really important that you, you bootstrap and know that you have a business or not. Because otherwise, you may be eaten alive and then you lose equity and then you're just stressed out. And you know what they say, money's once you get money, it's like, well done. You get a pat on the back for being able to persuade someone to give you money. But the real success is in terms of revenue, the culture you build, and how purpose-driven you are to impact, you know, your customers. You know. And, and I've seen that with uh, companies that some companies, they're, they're getting the money and it's like the highest, you know, milestone. But then they start having problems with scaling. And they're scaling uh, their growth in business so, I mean, wrong, in a wrong way. And they're actually losing money without making revenue. So I'm very, now that you're saying, I didn't know that you uh, got this investment, but I'm very curious to know what's your scaling strategy on what you're focusing now that you have the money. So our scaling strategy is pretty much now in distribution, marketing, brand, and storytelling. Hence, I've been really trying to work my, my writing habit in LinkedIn just because uh, we realized that whilst we may have a really good product, one, you cannot compete on price. One, you cannot compete about large competitors head-on because otherwise you're building, uh, you're, yeah, you're um, boiling the ocean. So we're really tackling uh, four different verticals and then using the knowledge we have gained bootstrapping the company to now get the right people in place. So, for example, in our case, a CMO, chief of operations, to really then nail what we currently have and then be able to then speed up our growth because we now fundamentally would require is more people interested in our product that are high level clients to then have that growth because now we have their client success department our sales department our marketing department is all growth so now it's just about yeah speeding up that's what we're using this uh, investment in order to grow by having already the foundational parts uh, iron Dow, that's the idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I saw that you're big on uh, uh, building a personal brand and actually on employee advocacy. Now that you've mentioning mm-hmm. it, what what exactly? What? And I'm very curious that you said that uh, you're honing your writing skills on LinkedIn. So, yeah. What what's your process like? Okay, you have per week that you know that you have to write this amount of posts, or what's your process? What's your thinking behind that? So my process has been before I was going through like, you know, cycles, you got to know yourself, like when you're going through speed up cycles, when you're burnout a little bit and then cycle. So for me, writing has been the same. So I know, for example, I've been a bit like uh, radio quiet like this month. However, from January, I was um, always writing the day before. So I know myself now not to, yes, I need to push myself to get the small challenge, which is right for 30 days. But then when I say I was going overwhelmed with other things, I had to, you know, take the priority off and continue doing my business, but then gain that habit again in March and start up again. So it's just building systems. Like Justin Wells has said, and Andrew Meborn as well, it's all about how you can prepare yourself for success. So I said to myself, okay, I'm gonna write my post every single day, the day before, and I'm gonna make sure that I engage with people relevant with their posts, but also adding real value, not just like a comment or like, okay, great. And I see the importance of personal branding because I see this becoming more important than having a company brand or page. Even though that's important, you yourself will become more important. And that's why I also like to empower my employees because I want them to, one, succeed, to be able to tell the brand story from data lies, but also be able to use that for themselves as leverage when they come across another professional 
um, you know, role they may do in another company. Like I want them to succeed at that because they have the power and that's what personal brand has right now. The same with, you know, it's been seen all over the internet that Elon Musk has more followers than Tesla itself. But that goes to show that for that, he can be an, a, a, yeah, an ambassador for many other things as well. So that's why I see the brand of personal brand becoming more powerful and that everyone has something to teach, something that's real, valuable and tangible and that no one is more special than others. It just been, means that they've done it, been there and something that you want to follow but they don't have any special recipe, just just commitment to adding value. And it's not just a hunch you had. Actually, I'm following the Sprout Social Index reports. They're publishing once per quarter. And uh, they discovered that co- uh, buyers, consumers, they want more and more content from the, from the founders of companies. They're right. very interested in this. And they're more prone to check product if they uh, engage with the founder on social media. No, and that's correct. And it, cause it's all about transparency not right nowadays. It's not about like, you know, you set up a business, you hide behind the shadows. No, the more transparent you are, I think the more you win. And that's something I'm still a lot working in just because I'm like, what do I show? Like, am I really worried? Or like, how, how, how do I say it? And, you know, things like that. But it's really, really powerful. And I'm still learning, you know. And the more I learn, the more I realize, yes, you can use frameworks to be able to write in a consistent manner so people find it readable and engaging. So, you know, it's also learning about a few tweaks that you, that you should learn. And it's not just about like trying to get yourself cr- um, in a creative mode and just write anything like essay wise. No, no, you just, you're gonna learn the fundamentals of also engaging writing. And then once you get that, then you start uh, the creative mood and then you become better like anything. Yeah, and you actually said that uh, one of your mistakes in the beginning when you started the company was not to have a community, not to have an audience. This Correct. Is, and, and you actually said that this actually nearly killed your business. Correct, because I did everything that you should not do. Yeah, I did. <laughs> so in the case that I started with a product in mind, just because, yes, I had the frustration seeing as a financial broker, you know, the different solutions that were used. So I realized, okay, uh, I think this will be really useful. So uh, we started building a product. And then after we started building the product, MVP, then I started talking to customers. So it was kind of like doing things wrongly. Whilst before now, the whole like uh, syntax is talking to clients first, also building a following, talk about what you really like and what you're good at, and then seeing what people's questions are to you once you're writing posting, and then trying to build a product or service based on that. And most importantly, trying to build a community where it may be a topic, you know, like outbound sales, for example, and then try to write as much content as possible and be able to help clients, give them a process, give them templates, give them value, and then from then on, build a product, because then you'll have a community in itself that will support you whilst we have to build from like you know the whole like get one client and once you get one client you get 10 clients and if you can get 10 clients get 100 clients so you know i've been following what the old school like you know startup school was and now everything's changed like that so it's kind of like nice to be able to to see that and that's why nearly killed us because we had to hustle and luckily we were bootstrapped because that's why we weren't burning many, much money it was two of us then we become third three then four and then hustling hustling growing very slowly but then we we're making all those mistakes and then also what verticals we were attacking because we are like a horizontal product but then we need to find which vertical could have synergy with our product without having to develop so many characteristics and features so it's kind of like a a big fight that we had to do and then be very truthful with ourselves 
that yes, we have a great product, but we have no idea how to distribute it or market it or anything until now. Just learning by stress, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we'll come back to this uh, subject actually because I'm very interesting about another mistake you said with it. But before that, I want to ask you, since we're talking about building personal branding and uh, you're also trying to nudge employees to start sharing their knowledge on LinkedIn, because obviously on LinkedIn, you're a B2B company, so LinkedIn is yeah. your obvious choice. But <laughs> yeah. apart, uh, apart from that, what other marketing strategies are you deploying now at Datalyze? So other strategies we're deploying now is talking to like more marketplaces, how we can develop an app within their ecosystem and for them to be able to allow the, uh, themselves to do the same with us. Also, in terms of synergy, is cooperating with, say, for example, if we have the vertical of, of finance and insurance that we target insurance companies, how we can also provide Datalyze as a component to, to their clients, because we had many, many times a, a clients in insurance company that is using the policy software system, and we're like, hey, we don't want to replace your policy software system. We want to have Datalyze as a way to acquire, retain, and upsell, and sell more as a component to your software, because we will integrate and then imitate and replicate information. So that's the way we're trying to grow now in distribution. In terms of community, even though I, I said to you, we're still very, uh, very nascent on it because uh, it's not my high skill. Um, so we do need to improve that aspect because it's also, uh, you need to commit to that. So, but it's one of the most important aspects and the more I delay creating a community, the more we're gonna <laughs> not gonna grow because I see that as being more more important than than just going through marketplaces. That makes sense. Yeah, actually, there is a, a wave of people saying that build a community first and a, yeah. a, a product later later uh, later. And this actually makes you anti fragile because, especially you as a founder, right. if you are building a community after that, even if you want to launch another product, for example, you already have a community that helps you will help you validate ideas that will help you promote that will become customers even so yeah that's it's very important <laughs> yeah yeah so you you also said that um okay you're a horizontal product you're looking into building verticals but also in and i see this somehow connected with a, a second mistake you said you did that nearly uh, destroyed your companies uh trying to build too much in the beginning like it was three products Three, three, yeah, three, yeah, three whole products in one. So, for example, uh, the mistake was that normally, you know, you start a, a telecoms company and you know, like Erco, and then did really great, like you know, geographic numbers. Um, they have the uh, web phone, everything really great, and then you focus on one thing and then you expand out. Or like, for example, a CRM company, like for email marketers, something like that. But then we started to build a telecoms company, then a CRM company, then a marketing automation and sales automation company, and it became wow. Like yes, this is the whole vision, but like that's what nearly killed us because we were spending so many so much time building it that it took us from acquiring clients or people really understanding what we were just because our whole system wasn't fully developed. So we have basic functionalities on each one of them that people were, the clients were saying like, okay, I, I like it, but then you're missing this and this and this. You're missing this function for, uh, you know, balancing calls in in your web system, or you don't have a web phone, or and that nearly killed us. Whilst even though we had experience, because actually Datalyze became like an aggregate of the couple of companies we had in the past. Like I mentioned in 2007, we had an SMS and VoIP telecommunications company. So we 
took that knowledge. Then 2015, we created Spanaco Marketing Agency. So we took that knowledge and then built into Datalyze. So in a way, it was an aggregate, but that was what nearly killed us. And also because no one knew what we were. We were kind of some like email marketing system that has telecoms integrated. What we were, you know, we didn't even knew ourselves. We just knew that it would save time, become more efficient, reduce stress, and empower employees and management and have everything in one place for employees from 5 to 250 employees that were finding hotspot, they were finding Salesforce way too expensive, but require the whole power of a CRM system like or like the air core power of you know to operate their business in a globalized way whilst being local and that was kind of the ethos and why it nearly killed us because again we had to find the one client 10 clients and it's still that was a struggle yeah. and how did you simplify what were the, the steps to, uh, to actually to close everything did you renounce yeah. some products or how did you approach it so we renounced to focusing on just building more products and actually just improving user experience and actually just being able to spend the, the time we spent building product, spending researching our market and actually talking to clients and actually finding the real tangible value. And from then we found out, okay, what are the next obstacles, which are like the implementation of a new CRM system. It's, it's, it could be great for the business, but if, for example, they don't take the time or commitment to actually learn about the system and actually know what the sales process is, then it becomes a hindrance and people will not use it. So then we became more about product advocacy, how we can empower employees, how we could reduce time, how we can actually achieve this and, and, and attach, associate that with the revenue goals of the business. And once we start doing that, then we realize, okay, we have something good that actually provides value. Actually, people give us, um, uh, tell us it's a good product, actually it's useful and helps them to accelerate revenue and time, which is the most important. So we knew we had something there but until like the clients are seeing it and using it and paying for it and actually upgrading more licenses, then you didn't have anything. So you basically changed the wheels while riding the car. <laughs> In a way, yeah. <laughs> so that's why I mean we committed many errors. Yeah, and obviously this actually uh, connects greatly with the second question. With the next question is yeah. uh, another mistake you said was to um, choose work over health, and this is something that most founders are doing it. Like they're prioritizing their business over health or over rest time, recharge time. So. Can you tell me yeah. your experience? Do you have moments of burnout? Yeah. How did you overcome all this? Yeah, of course. Uh, I became uh, more of a healthiest chicken. So when I was working over health, I was working maybe like, you know, the standard 15, 16 hour days. All I did was stress out about the business, making sure it was growing. I was romancing about things. You know, I wanted to be here because that was my vision. However, I needed to be real and be here as we were. So I guess I was putting way too much stress. And when I get stressed, the more I did was learn more and learn more and learn more. But then it became to a point where I was just very restless. I was stressed out i was you know it, it sort of helped me because i was able to acquire more skills in a short short amount of time but then one mentor sat me down and said hey mark look if you continue it this way it's really well done your commitment to the business and you will probably get to the end however if you get ill if you get stressed out you know this the ship will sink with you why because you are the most important part of the business at that stage so People need you to be calm. They need you to be grounded. They need you to be informative. They need you. They need you there. So start focusing on what matters, which is proper sleep, uh, proper food. You know, actually get you stressed out by either meditating on or exercising, 
and once I learned them, I started thinking things more with more calm, but also becoming more effective, which actually when you're at that stage of like rushing and stressing, you think you're doing a lot, but in reality, you're not. You achieve more, be more calm and grounded. Even if the whole like company is burning in a way, you should be more calm than instead of getting reactive because that's what people, the perception you think you need to have. Otherwise, you're not seeing like you care about the business. So it's kind of like um, perception. So that's why I took the importance of taking care of myself first as opposed to working a lot many hours that many of them were unproductive and just worry. They were worried. And yeah, more. yeah. And obviously, the when you have a clear head, you are able to build systems that actually will work for you. And when you're Correct. rushing, you don't see these opportunities. No, you don't. And then you get to a level where you're just thinking and thinking. It's like a cycle. Oh my god, if I don't do this or like work this many hours, am I even doing anything? Do I care about my business? And it's just like it's weird. It's like it's like paranoia. He's like getting no way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And actually, I was sending you messages, and at some point, you told me that you're on. Uh, uh, you're on a detox, digital detox. So yeah. you're also doing that, right? You're taking Cor- uh, time off. Correct, because I'm, st- I'm still getting sometimes stressed out, and sometimes like uh, I could be really good. I'm online always, and then and suddenly I get stressed out, and I even to this now I, I still procrastinate many many times in a task I need to do. And you know I prioritize my task in a versus so like urgent. Um, you can delegate, not very urgent, or like you know delegate to someone else. And but still like. I need to kind of detox and literally switch off for me because for me, I consider myself like ambivert, you know, like where I can be both introvert and an extrovert, but sometimes I need to recharge. Otherwise I'm like, I can't, like I get really stressful because I try to wear too many hats still. And yeah, it's needed. And now I don't feel guilty and I just like switch off and I'm like, if the opportunity is still there, it will be there. I just want to make sure that I'm professional and I, I have given notice or, you know, integrity. It's like, say what you're going to do and if you cannot do it then at least say how you can fix it and then hopefully the opportunity is still still there yeah yeah and actually this is being applied to employees too because look at now this european trend with four work week uh, and also buffer one year ago they applied this as an experiment and they've seen that actually the efficiency of employees grew and their happiness grew, everything, I mean, the metrics were great. So they decided to, to try it for one year. And now they said that they are not going back to the five-day uh, work week. So it's... Oh, I didn't know that. And I know Buffer has been very, always very transparent with everything, like numbers yeah. come to community, to product. So that's really, really good to see. Yeah. yeah. So now, since we're talking about numbers, you also said on, uh, in one of your LinkedIn posts that uh, you, you talked about the importance of metrics. And that you're actually displaying them real time to business. So I, when I wrote, I, when I read this, I imagined that you have an office, and in the office is a big screen, and everybody correct. can see all this. Seriously, this is how you're doing. Yeah, Every correct. Time. So, for example, we, are, we have two screens. We have one in the in the actually sales, and then customer service, and this is where we take meetings. So it's actually a screen where it gives the live dashboard of like everything that's happening. So, for example, from MR to churn to uh, average revenue per customer to how many agents, any upsells they've done or any downgrades as well. And it's a really great way motivator because everyone can see it very transparently what's happening with the business. And yeah, my mentor, my mentor Ryan Alice is the one that told me that. And he says like, we should have implemented since the beginning just because then people's motivation, what they're doing and knowing that if they do an action and they close, they can see it represented on the screen. 
and it's a it's a great way. And you know, you you can have intuition, but you cannot grow without metrics. That's really important. Yeah. Even if they're growing very very slowly, but at least you can change them. You know, it's like leap. It's not always incremental. Sometimes it is, but sometimes you can do things that just go like whoop, little jump. And yeah, that's I'm very advocate for that. And if you'd have to choose just one metric to display to show it to your team, what it would be? Probably the ooh, the the amount of time, uh, the activity time of of the platform. So like I like seeing it how in in a global scale, well from our product, the activity of how it increases average time per use, and I would say that's my favorite metric, just because people are actually using our product. Yeah. <laughs> And if they're using a product, there'll be a side effect of like, you know, value and, and ROI and everything else. Yeah, it will impact every single area of uh, your team, every single department. Correct. So then that's that's my happy metric. And also apart from net promoted score in customer success, but also knowing that, you know, they're advocates and actually like the product and it's useful. That's important as well. Yeah, I read uh, in one interview that the CEO of Miro and they who said he said that he's obsessed over a uh, net promoter score. This is the yeah. his uh, instead of reading news, he's reading <laughs> the net promoter. Yeah, it's a feedback. Yeah, because yeah, if everything's going well, you know, activity and net promoter score is really well, then you got a successful business, and that's the real metrics that you should focus on. The rest are like you know, like it's nice, nice to have, or like you know, uh, what's it called, like smoke and mirrors. You know, MMR is could be a fake mirrors as well. So it's kind of like focusing the real the real tangible things yeah and i'm very curious also what's one business strategy that you discovered through uh, your activity at datalyze and you've applied it and it worked so a uh, strategy just uh, treating a customer like no number ever and also mm-hmm. like just like a like a business partner in a way like it doesn't matter if they have three licenses or five or 60 you just treat them like and give them the best customer success possible and that's why i learned from like you know sapos tony he's like he was really really good and yeah. that's our in a way competitive advantage versus other companies that they just treat uh, maybe like a customer or oh you want support in integrating sapier to your marketing campaigns, okay, we're going to charge you this, or we don't provide our support. No, no, we go extra and beyond. We're going to help you to the point where sometimes they're asking us, oh, do you know anyone to build a business, uh, do a website, or do this? I'm like, okay, hang on, we're, we're deviating way too much, but we will help them in any way possible and provide value without having to charge them a lot of money, like migrating databases, like help them upload Excel sheets, providing knowledge in terms of sales process, how to best personalize their pipelines in opportunities, you know, without them even knowing themselves because we come across that many times. And that's something that, yeah, it's been a strategy that has really helped us. And because if we retain our customers, all we have to do is obtain more, retain them, and then we will grow. So you are actually providing and the platform and your expertise, which you Correct. later can transform it like into a service. I've seen lots of SaaS companies doing that, selling the product and later selling the service of setting everything up. Correct. And that's what we do. And right now we offer that completely free. You become a customer, you will get yeah. that whole service for free. And even though, you know, there's standalone companies called CRM consultants or they're doing that and charging a lot of money for pretty much things that we're doing uh, literally uh, as a value prop. And even though, you know, and again, we're really bad at distribution and brand because we didn't even say it on the website. You only discover that once we start talking to us, how much value we provide. And, you know, and sometimes people that don't know, they're like, okay, now I want this and this and this. And then they start taking away your hands. So we're like, okay, hang on, we'll provide you with this. Like, but, but yeah, that's, I think that's the best strategy there. Yeah. <laughs> so now converse, uh, in this dialogue, I discovered that actually you have mentors, business mentors. Correct, I do. <laughs> 
So what's this experience like? Would you recommend mentors to all the entrepreneurs? How your life changed after you started to work with mentors? Oh, I, I will say 100%, 100%. Just because uh, mentors provide you the expertise that you require that you didn't know you needed or you didn't know about. So my couple of mentors have been, well, Ryan Alice from, he is the former of Eye Contact. It's like, you know, the Eye Contact was similar to MailChimp. And he also created a community called Hive, which is in California, which helps purpose-driven entrepreneurs to come together to try to solve, you know, humanitarian um, challenges. Uh, and also uh, one of them, by going there, like this is my third year in a row, obviously it's been closed for the past two years because COVID, but I met people like Brandon Brandon Bornansian, which now he's the CEO of Seamless.ai, which now is going to grow into a 100 million pound company. So having those mentors and you're talking to them, knowing they're human and also sharing their expertise has been really, really invaluable. For example, Ryan Alice is the one that gave me the advice about having a North Star, why you're, why you're alive, well, apart from that in a personal level, but also why does the company exist and why it's all about being purpose-driven and money is a side effect of the value you provide. And Brandon Bornansian is just... He gave me the knowledge of like, you know, don't reinvent the wheel, just reverse engineer, see where other companies are, where you want to go, and then literally just focus on going step by step, but have their good habits and in order to have you at the peak performance in order to be able to achieve that and then work like hell and then just empower your team. It's all about your team. Like good things happen to you, it's your team. Bad things happen to the company, it's your fault and take full responsibility for it and do not waver it at any point with that. So. Having those experiences with mentors have really, really helped me to think ahead, but also be realistic about where I am and then knowing what my gaps are and then just don't yeah, don't give any excuses. Just learn what you don't know and then really know what you're good at and what you're not and then hire for that and then just don't stop pretty much. I can, that's my summary, not sell both Ryan and Brandon. I can definitely sell, uh, yeah. say that there is a lot of value. Only by your answer, I already made some mental notes about some amazing <laughs> advice yeah. from your mentors. So yeah, <laughs> definitely. So and this is a, also I see this that how this actually connects with your uh, idea of getting one percent better each day. I oh, yeah. know that you wrote about that. Yeah. So now I want to know what's this? What's a tiny one thing you're doing it on a daily basis that has as a SaaS CEO? that has that helps you get this uh, compound effect so for me it's always be learning and always knowing where, where your gap lies that you need to learn in order to become better at that app skill and then keep focusing on those tiny skills on gaps that you have because then as you said you know the skills compound as well and the more skills you have the more you'll become better and the more you will grow and then teach that to your employees and that's why i like always learning new things, but I have the mindset of always to teach it to my team. And then that's how I learn fast. And then knowing my gaps constantly, being very constructive and very hard on yourself in a good way. I've seen that uh, plenty of uh, founders are doing that. They're always asking this question, what am I missing? Mm -hmm. So well, basically right. finding your gaps is actually asking yourself this question, like what am, am I missing? And every and in every single form in every single way to do in a way. For example, like what am I missing? Like here, how can I become better? Like in, in more succinct answer or more like detail, more calm. But then yeah, because what am I missing and where do I want to get to? That's that's the two things. Got it, got it. 
So, Mark, uh, I usually end these interviews with three quick personal questions. For sure, it's like for a sure. blitz. Yes. So yes. let's let's get started. So, what SaaS companies do you follow up close right now? Sorry, say that again. What, what SaaS companies uh, do you follow up close right oh, now? Uh, Monday.com. I follow uh, SpaceX. And then I'm following also <laughs> Tesla. These are my favorite companies right now. But, but specifically SaaS, if you... Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, SaaS, of course. Uh, Monday.com. Yeah. I follow Aircall as well. And I follow really closely... Oh, God, God, for a way. And, oh, yeah, um, Seamless.ai, for sure. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned it. Actually, yeah. Tesla is working slightly by the SaaS, you know, framework with uh, us being able to <laughs> customize everything and order online. And SpaceX, maybe when we'll uh, launch our, yeah. <laughs> we'll go. No, no, no. Yeah, we'll go to, yeah. for tourism in space, maybe. <laughs> so uh, what's your personal tech stack? Not your companies, but your personal. My personal tech stack? Oh, that I currently use. So I use Notion. For mm-hmm. sure, I use um, well, I use Datalize for my personal things, but that's, um, and I also use Microsoft Words and Excel, and I don't use anything else. I don't have any I, automated I, systems or. Yeah. yeah, I find it really nice that you're using Datalize. People are saying yeah. that this is uh, like dog food, dog feeding, but yeah. I like another expression from the uh, Miro CEO who says it's drinking your own champagne. So it <laughs> sounds yeah. much better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And finally, since I said it once and I'll say it again, you're very big on learning and I'm very curious what are the books uh, that had a big impact on, on you as a personality and on how you run your business. For sure. Uh, for me, it's been Zero to One by Peter Thiel. Like, it really helped me think about like you know platforms at scale. I really like the Surrender Experiment by Michael. Oh, I, I want to say you the, the surname, but I can remember. But it's called the Surrender Experiment. It's all about like intuition and personal growth and spirituality. And the most important one as well, it has been, um, um, uh, yeah, think, no, think and Grow Rich. That has been also one of my favorite, even though it's like a placebo positive thinking, but it really made me think in a bigger scale and think big. That has been my top three books. And obviously, um, Intercom on Startups, that has also been really practical advice as well for a more practical knowledge. Great. These are some amazing books. Mark, thank you very much for your time. Uh, It was a very insightful conversation. As usual, I made lots of notes. So thank you very much for accepting my invitation and for being my guest. Thank you very much, Victoria, for this this invitation to this podcast. And thank you very much. I know SAS Theory is going to grow more and I want to see. Thank you very much, Mark. And thank you all for listening until the end. Wish you a great morning, day, afternoon or evening. Till next time.